0: Because the reality, whether we like it or not, is that my life and your life, every moment of every day, preach a message, either showing that we are a bondservant to Christ, or that we're not, and there's nowhere in between. Welcome
1: to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John
0: Couch. Father, as we open your word today, God, I just ask that you would speak and reveal what you have for us right now, God. I pray that our hearts would be refreshed. I pray that our hearts would be in tune with you. God, I pray that that we'd hear clearly today that the Holy Spirit would speak in a powerful way, O oh God. So God, move me behind the shadows of the cross. Do the work only you can do, God. And we'll be quick to give you all the praise, to give you all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I take your Bible, and we're starting a new study here today. I turn to the book of Jude. Go all the way back towards the New Testament. If you're around Revelation, uh, you're in a really good spot. Just take a left and you will land on the street called Jude. And so we are starting today this great study of this book called Jude and uh, what an incredible book it is. And so as you're turning there, we're going to read verses one through two today. And I pray this will be a great springboard, a great launching pad for What God's Word says. And as you are turning there, the title of the series is simply Battling for the Truth. Battling for the Truth. What do you think of when you think of battling for the truth? Well, I know this. I think of what's going on in our country today. That we are in a truth war. The truth is on trial. The battle for the Bible is real. And we as Christ followers must be loving and gracious, yes, but we also must stand for the truth of God's word. And so I pray as we dive deep into this text today and in the weeks to come that I pray that you will be strengthened. I pray you will be encouraged. I pray that you will be a Christ follower who is willing to stand on the wall for Jesus Christ and stand in the gap for his word. Now, the title of the message today is just simply characteristics of a Christ follower. Characteristics of a Christ follower. And so here's what Jude says in verses 1 through 2. Again, I pray you have your Bible open, a notepad ready, pen in hand, as the Holy Spirit, I pray, will speak to my heart, and speak to yours right now. Here's what the word of God says as the greetings to the called. Jude 1 says this, Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, don't miss that, and brother of James. Interesting fact. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 2. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And may God add his blessings to the reading of his word. What's the context? Because we know that context is always king. What is the context that's going on here? Well, we know this short book of Jude is is all about dealing with the reality that apostates, defectors, if you will, whatever you want to call them in that genre, those who abandon the truth of God's word, they actually do exist. It's real. We know that we, again, are in a truth war. We're in a battle for the Bible. We know this is reality of where we are in the culture that we live in. And these men and women are inside homes. They are inside churches. They infiltrate churches. They infiltrate cultures with one mission. And that's to lead others away from the truth. They themselves are deceived, deluded, and they're walking in darkness. And as Proverbs tells us, the wicked walk in darkness and they do not even know what makes them stumble. Think about it. The enemy has one tool in his toolbox. That's all he's got. Not overly creative. The enemy has come to kill, steal and destroy. He's not your buddy, he's not your friend. He wants to decimate you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to bring utter destruction to your family, to your church. And he only has that one tool in his toolbox and that's the lie. He's the father of all lies. And so everything that he does, everything that he does is based on a lie. Everything. The deception that you perhaps are walking in today is a lie. The deception that others are trying to drag you down with is a lie. The deception in our culture today is a lie. Everything, every, every, everything he does, the enemy that is, is a lie. And his focus is to distort and to attack the truth, to assault the truth. And that's what we see in our culture, in our country today. An assault, a venomous, vicious attack on God, His Word, His Son, Jesus Christ, His holiness, His glory, His praise. And it's high time, it's high time. That the church of Jesus Christ rises up, begins to live for the king who died in her place. See, we do live in a post-modern society, a denying the truth society, a post-Christian. Yes, we live in a post-Christian society. I mean, go, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're founded on biblical principles, our country. That's a true statement, but we are living in a post-Christian culture. And really, if we're honest, a post-truth culture. There's no such thing as my truth and your truth. That doesn't exist. That in itself is a lie. There is truth, and his name is Jesus. There is light, and his name is Jesus. There is walking in freedom, and his name is Jesus. And please hear me, church family. The Word of God is not relative, it's not based on my opinion, your opinion. The Word of God is based on the truth of God, and it does not change, it's not progressive. That's one of the worst things going on in our culture today is this view of progressive Christianity. It's ever evolving. No, it isn't. God hasn't changed his mind. And yet the culture, because the culture loves to walk in darkness, wants to distort and assault and bend the truth to the culture's evil desires to make them feel better about what they want to do in their lives as they want to live against God with stiff necks and rebellious hearts. And it's still, no matter how much you assault the truth, no matter how much you want to try to bend and break the truth, you cannot because the truth of God's word does not change. And you've heard me say it before and I will say it again. How will you know what's false if you first don't know what's true? How will you know? How will you identify? How will you not bend, buckle, and break towards the schemes of the enemy if you first don't know what's true, if you're not grounded daily in the Word of God because it's true, if you're not walking in holiness and pursuing Christ's righteousness? How will you know what's false? How will you not be deceived yourself unless you're first walking in truth? And so with that, Jude is imploring us today with this, urgent, white-hot message as he implores his reader then and implores you and I right now to stand for truth, to walk in truth, to not bend, to not apostate, to not defect, but to live for the King who took our place, and His name is Jesus. Jesus. So as we look at verse 1 and unpack this together, let's ask the Holy Spirit right now, right now, to speak a word of truth into my life and to speak a word of truth into your life. And so here's what the Word of God says. The Holy Inspired inerrant word of God that we stand on. It's our foundation. It's our hope. It's our security. It's our identity. Here's what the truth of God's word says in verse one of Jude. Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. See, the author identifies himself here. Jude is writing, remember, to Christ followers in that day, most likely Jewish Christians, probably around 60 AD, somewhere in that ballpark. And again, warning against the apostasy and the battle for the truth, not just in the culture, but specifically inside the church. You say, wait a minute. You mean there's a battle going on inside the church? Of course there is. The enemy doesn't hang out in areas that he already has locked up for his glory and for his deception. People think, ah, the enemy, You know, he's hanging out at the bar and he's hanging out over here at this entity where all this debauchery is going on and that's where the enemy hangs out. He's already got those taken care of. He's sitting in the pew next to you. He saddles up there on the sofa in your home. He pulls up a chair at your cubicle at work because he knows he's smart enough that he's going to go where he gets the greatest ROI, return on his investment. And if he can infiltrate your home and your work and your church and your ball team for his glory of deception and depravity, and that cancer and those toxins begin to spread like poison as the enemy of self begins to take over, that's where he hangs out. And so Jude, again, is saying, hey, wait a minute. I want you to know who I am. Matter of fact, he's really saying here when we read this, I want you to know whose I am. See, he says his name is Jude. Well, it's interesting when you really look at that and unpack that. Here's what you see. You see that Jude is really an English form of the Greek word Judas. Kind of get the idea why you go with the name Jude instead, don't you? And of course, in the Hebrew, we have the name Judah. His name means, well, he shall be praised. And the reality again is this, that as Jude is identifying himself on the front end and making mention of whose he is here, as we're going to look in just a moment, we have to remember there's nothing new under the sun. There was evil back in the day, many, 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 many years ago, and there's evil in our day as well. And then Jude makes this statement, this bold proclamation. And I love how he does this because he does this out of the gate. He doesn't wait till the middle. He doesn't wait till the end of the letter here. He says, Jude, here's who I am. I want everyone to know I'm signing this in my own hand. I'm a bondservant. I'm a bondservant. I'm a doulos. I'm a willing slave. I'm one who disregards his own interests for the interests of others. I'm one who lives for the gospel. I'm one who denies self and I take up my cross and I follow him. Because really the definition of the doulos is my life is simply no longer my own. I give my life away joyfully. Is what that means. And the question of the doulos, the bondservant, is always the object of who the bondservant belongs to. And what does Jude say right there in your Bible in front of you? He says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christos. Jehovah is salvation, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, God incarnate. You know, by the way, he then alludes to that he's the brother. The brother of who? The brother of James. Of course, James being the leader there in that early church of Jerusalem and the half-brother of Jesus. And so you see the relationship here, the physical, earthly relationship of Jude, of Jesus, of James. And yet, in the midst of that earthly physical relationship, do you see what he points out first and foremost before that? He says, I want you to know. I want you to know without any shadow of a doubt who I belong to. That I serve the king who took my place. And I've given my life willingly away in missionary sacrifice to go make a difference. And to warn you, the reader then, and to warn us, the reader now, of this apostasy and abandoning the truth that is so prevalent in our culture today. See, that's why key number one, write it down. Key number one in your notes, write it down. Here it is. A true Christ follower is a joyful, willing servant of Jesus. Let me say that again. Key number one, write it down. A true Christ follower is a joyful, don't miss that, willing, don't miss that, servant, don't miss that, who's the object of Jesus. See, at the heart of being a bondservant of Christ is total surrender and total obedience. If you today have zero desire to be obedient to Jesus, if you today have zero desire to totally surrender to Jesus, I can assure you this, with complete and total clarity, you may have raised a hand, said a prayer, did a cartwheel, signed a card, got dunked, but I can assure you this, you have not given your life to Jesus. Because your life is no longer your own when you live out in obedience, in total surrender, And joyful submission to be a willing servant of the king. Think about this. I don't know if you caught this. But think about this. Jude introduced himself, correct? Not a trick question or statement. He's the half-brother of King Jesus. We already alluded to that in the physical, earthly, temporal relationship. And instead of, this is so good. Instead of waving, because I would have done this, instead of waving the, hey, I'm the half-brother of Jesus card, instead, he goes humble and uses the, I'm the bondservant of Jesus card. And oh, by the way, I joyfully submit to him because he's just not my king. I'm his bondservant. Think about what would happen in my life and your life today if that became our mantra truthfully, genuinely, that we just don't claim Christ because He's saved us and given us fire insurance, but we truthfully say, my life is no longer my own. I'm a bond servant of Christ. His goal for my life and His goal for your life is not that He could be used for our wishes and desires His goal for my life and His goal for your life is that we would willingly, joyfully submit to Him that He could use us for His desires, for His purposes of advancing the gospel. And yet, if I'm honest, that would have been really tempting to use the I'm the half-brother of Jesus courtesy card, so to speak. And yet Jude, whose life got radically rocked at some point in his life by the righteous royal blood of King Jesus, identifies out of the chute out of the gate, from a launching pad of hope, from a launching pad of "Here's who I am," I'm a bond servant, and I'm willing to do whatever that my king asked me to do. How about you today? Can you say the same thing truthfully? Actually, let me ask it a different way. Without actually saying anything, does your life, does my life preach a message to all those people around us that our lives are no longer our own and that we really, truthfully, genuinely are a bondservant of Jesus? Do our lives preach that message? Because the reality, whether we like it or not, is that my life and your life, every moment of every day, preach a message, either showing that we are a bondservant to Christ or that we're not, and there's nowhere in between. Think about the supporting text from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Write that down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Here's what Paul writes to the depraved church in Corinth that had so many challenges and so many issues. He says that those who live, that pretty much sums up everybody who's living, amen, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Don't you love that? So here's what Paul's saying. For all of us that are alive right now and who are truly living for the King and desire to do that, here should be the message being preached from our lives. We should no longer live for ourselves. Oh, no, no, no. We should truthfully day in and day out make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him. And oh, by the way, we're living for the One who not only died for us, oh, but praise be to God, our great God of glory and hope but we live for the one King Jesus who rose again and that gives me and you the believer in Christ hope because without the resurrection how do you get through life how do you get through life how do you get through life when your life is falling apart when everything is unraveling when it's one challenge after another How do you get through it? You get through it when your life is based on Christ. You get through it when your life is based on the solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus Christ and His righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 through 20. Write that down as well. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Here's what Paul says again to that church in Corinth that was struggling. He says this, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Now listen to his next phrase. And you are not your own for you were bought at a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's Paul says don't you know this believer don't you know this that your body is literally is literally the temple of the Holy Spirit he's in you who's from God and you are not your own oh by the way don't forget you were bought with a price You were bought with the most precious blood that's ever been shed. It was the price that was paid on Calvary. As Jesus went to the cross, as He endured the shame and the pain and the heartache, and as He propitiated, as He appeased the wrath of God that was forever satisfied, as sin and death had to be crushed, the sin-bearer Himself, Jesus Christ, He took my place, He took your place. Is it really too much to ask that we give everything back to Him? Who are you living for? No, really. Truthfully, who are you living for? Who owns you? Maybe that's a better question. Who owns you? See, the reality is that in the end, you can work at a church. You can be a pastor, you can be a deacon, Sunday school teacher, community group leader, work in the kitchen. Serve the fellowship meals, praise Jesus. Beat every church workday. You can do all of those things. Never miss a Sunday. Serve in every capacity, on every committee, on every team. You can drive a hybrid. You can hug trees. You can recycle. You can count in multiples of three, seven, twelve, and forty. And the reality is this is that God still demands obedience and total surrender from me and you. And yet so many people in this battle for the truth, as they have one hand on Jesus and one hand deep in the world, they've come to this conclusion that giving their life to Christ and totally abandoning their life for Christ is somehow risky. Let me speak a word of truth unto you today. Totally, without any reservation, without any holding back, giving your life to Christ in unwavering obedience, unwavering surrender, that's not risky. That's freedom. That's contentment. That's peace. That's joy. You'll never find peace, joy, and contentment apart from obeying God. It won't happen. But let me tell you, dear one, what's risky is this. What's risky is holding on to your life with clenched fists. What's risky is holding on to your plans, your hopes, your dreams, and not letting go, and yes, even your schedule. All the while professing that Jesus is my Lord and I'm his bondservant. Now that's risky because you're playing with your soul. God demands our obedience. A life that has truly been changed, a life that truly gives his or her heart to Jesus Christ will be a life that desires obedience, holiness, and total surrender. It doesn't give us salvation by doing those things, but it is evidence of our salvation as we move forward in life. And if you're listening today, and you do not desire any of those things, obedience, holiness, surrender, righteousness through Christ in your life, you need to go back and check your salvation. Because Robert Murray McShane said it so well when he penned these words. He said the Christian is a person who makes it easy for others to believe in God. Question for me and question for you. Does my life and does your life, as people are watching and they are watching like hawks, we may not like it, it may be unfair, it may give the wrong perception as they're not seeing reality for what it is, but the reality is this, people are watching, does my life and does your life preach a message and make it very, very easy for others to believe in God? And so with that launching pad of Jude identifying whose he is, look what he says next in the second part of verse one. He says to those who are called, comma, sanctified by God the Father, comma, and preserved in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be called? Well, when you look at that in the original language, the Greek, it simply means this, to be invited, to be divinely selected and appointed. You can't get around this biblical principle. To those who are called, to those who are invited, to those who are divinely selected and appointed, and then he says this phrase, he says, sanctified or beloved by God and in God the Father. It means this, to be set apart, to consecrate. So to those who are invited, to those who are set apart, to those who are consecrated, and then he says this, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Literally this, to attend to is what it means. In that Greek language, it means this, to guard, to be kept, to protect. See, do you understand this today, dear one? That as you are battling for the truth, as you are going through heartache and pain with that family member, with that coworker, with even that church person, that it is so hard to get along with. Do you understand this, that when you are truly in Christ, that now you should be abiding in Him, you should be pursuing the mind of Christ for His glory, for His praise, and when the conversion is real... When the person has truly been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Here's a promise right here from God's Word. We just read it. That you are preserved. You are guarded. You are kept. You are sealed for the day of redemption. And as you process that and you think through that, here's what's so beautiful in that is that we see so clearly, we see so beautifully that when we have true union, true union with Christ, He now is our fortress. He's our shield. He's our light and our salvation. Oh, church today, therefore, whom shall we fear?
1: You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch.
0: And that's why key number two is so critical in my life and your life today. And I pray as we write down key number two, I pray that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in my heart and your heart right at this very moment because key number two is simply this. A true Christ follower, a true one, is called, is sanctified, and preserved in and for Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Key number two, a true Christ follower, not a false convert, not one who's playing the dance, and it's not real, but a true one. If that's you here today and you're true, here's what your life should embody. Here's what my life should embody. We are called, we are sanctified, and we are preserved. We're invited, we're set apart, we're consecrated, and we are kept by the royal, righteous power of King Jesus as he guards us in his holiness and his majesty. Think about this today. As we are called and invited, isn't it great and glorious news that we are kept and protected and shielded by Jesus? Isn't that great news? No matter what you're going through right now, the heartache and the pain, Maybe there's lies that are being told about you because you're standing for truth. Because you're battling for truth, there are lies being told about you right now. Don't listen to the voice of deception. Listen to the voice of truth right at this very moment. And if that's you here today and you are truly walking in truth and you're being attacked because you're walking in truth, don't worry, don't fret. Jesus Christ is guarding you. He's protecting you. He's preserving you as our mighty fortress who is our God. But don't miss this point. If you are a true Christ follower listening right now, don't neglect the fact, don't neglect this, that you are called just not to salvation. Praise Jesus, amen, that's a good thing. And not just to be preserved in Christ, but you're also called to sanctification. See, when you give your life to Christ, you are called and you are sanctified in this simple fact that, again, your life is no longer your own, and your life is now set apart for God to use for His purposes, no longer your purposes. You mean, preacher, do I have to give God my schedule? Yes. Preacher, do I have to give God my life? Yes. Do I have to give God my family? Yes. Is there anything, preacher, that I don't have to give to God? No. You got to give him everything. That's the point of this deal. We got to get away from this concept of event based salvation where I do something external, there's not any heart transformation. But just because I've been in R.A.'s or I've worked in the church nursery, somehow I'm saved. That's not how this works. We give our lives away as a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and we do so with joy. See, when you think about sanctification, I want you to think about Romans 8, 29. Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29. And just simply this, that we are being conformed to the image of Christ. There's ongoing change in the process of sanctification. That's the point of sanctification. It's ongoing change. And if we today and forevermore as believers in Jesus Christ are going to be able to not just battle for the truth, but be an overcomer as we are battling for the truth, We must live lives that are set apart. You say, how do we do this? Well, here are three key ways. Number one is this. We are set apart from the enemy of self. We are set apart from the enemy of self. We don't please self any longer. We actually think of self less. Doesn't mean we think less of ourselves and that we beat ourselves up and we're a bunch of worthless losers. That's not what we're saying here. No, but we think of ourselves less as far as our preferences and got to have my way and I want to do this and if I don't get my way, I'm going to cause a fit and I'm going to pout and I'm going to cry like a baby. No, we think of ourselves less as we are set apart from the enemy of self. Number two, we are set apart from the allure of the world. As you're being sanctified, as I'm being sanctified, we should no longer desire the things of the world. We've been set free from that. That's what Jesus does. He sets us free. He sets us free from the enemy of self. He sets us free from the allure of the world. We don't need that nonsense, that poison, those toxins anymore. They're not going to lead to freedom or joy or contentment. It's a trap. It's a lie. Remember, the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Everything he does is based on a lie. And if he's telling me and you today to go pursue the world, it's a trap, it's a lie, that when you get to the end of that journey, you will be sorely disappointed. And yet thirdly, we're set apart unto God. Number one, we are set apart from the enemy itself. Number two, we're set apart from the allure of the world. And number three, we are set apart unto God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, O God, which is our reasonable service. We offer our lives daily as that living, breathing sacrifice, as a sweet aroma to the one who gave his son. And as I said earlier, is it really too much to ask? To give back everything that we are to the one that gave his son and shed his blood that we might be set free forever. Is it really too much to ask? Think about 1 Corinthians, staying in Corinthians as supporting verses. Think about 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. If your Bible's still open to the previous 1 Corinthians 6, 19, just go up a few verses. 1 Corinthians 6.11, I love this. Because you got to remember in the verses leading up to these verses right here, Paul outlines the characteristics of non-Christ followers. Today we're talking about the characteristics of Christ followers. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, leading up to this text, Paul gives the characteristics of non-Christ followers and how they will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't get around this. We stand on the truth. It's God's word, and this is what God's word says. And then he gets to verse 11 there, 1 Corinthians 6, and he says these words. He says, and such were some of you. I love this. Such were, past tense. You used to be a non-Christ follower, and now you are a Christ follower. This is how you live. And such were some of you. See, when you go through the heartache and pain of life, you got to remember as he goes on in this text, he says, but you were washed. You were washed. You were sanctified. Have we heard that word before? But you were also justified. You were declared righteous in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Oh, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were clothed now in your right mind. The old woman, the old man has now been put off. That clothing metaphorically is taken off of the old man, old woman. And now you are the new man, you are the new woman. You are dressed in your right mind. You are dressed in Christ's righteousness alone. And as the song says, Faultless to stand before the throne. Faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And oh, how we'd be remiss to not mention Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Write it down, Romans 12, 1 through 2. Paul says, I beseech you. There's urgency, there's fervency there. He's imploring, he's encouraging I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present, that you yield your bodies as a living sacrifice, whole and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I just mentioned this verse a moment ago. But then he goes deeper in verse 2, and he says this, And do not be conformed. Do not be fit and pressed into the mold of the world. Don't be allured into the traps of the world. You've been set apart from the world, as Paul is saying here. But be transformed, that metamorphosis, by how? The renewing, the renovation of your mind. That you may prove, that you may pass the test. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Do you see what Paul is imploring here in both of these supporting texts? that we've been called, we've been sanctified by God the Father, we've been preserved in Jesus Christ. And yes, in the midst of your struggle today, in the midst of your trial today, in the midst of life seeming unfair today, you can and you should in Jesus Christ live a life that you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus who has set you free. Because we're living sacrifices, not dead ones. We're living sacrifices for the king on high. So how does verse 2 now expand on what we've been talking about here? How does it expand and really flesh out, if you will, this calling, this sanctification, this preservation in Christ? How does verse 2 do this? Well, here's what verse 2 says from Jude, verse 2. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Three things, mercy, peace, and love. When you study these three concepts and words in the original Greek, you see that mercy simply is this, kindness and compassion. You see that mercy is simply this, kindness and compassion. You could give it this definition, which I'm sure you've heard before, but I'll say it again. Really, mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. That punishment. See, mercy is actually deliverance from judgment. So this sanctifying, this being called, this being preserved in Christ, we will now have characteristics in our lives of mercy towards others. We've been given mercy to us, and we will extend mercy to others. But we will also extend what? We'll extend peace. We will live in peace. What is peace? Well, again, in the original language, it's simply this, the tranquil state of the soul. It's where one is content, one is joyful, regardless, regardless of their circumstances in life. Now, that's hard, isn't it? I don't live up to this one very well, to be quite blunt. This can be a real struggle of mine. Because if I'm honest before you today, there are many times, and maybe you struggle with this as well, that my circumstances dictate my peace. That's not scriptural. That's not a life that's living and abiding in Jesus. That's a life that's focused on self. See, when we're focused on the enemy of self, we live a joyless, discontent life. But Paul modeled this. Jesus modeled this. So many through Scripture modeled this that even if God didn't go their way, they're still going His way. Because the mercy... And the peace that we also desperately crave and we hunger for and we thirst for... That if I just get this, if I just marry this person, if I just drive this car, live in this gated community, have this amount of money in the bank, have this retirement fund, go live on the beach, go buy a sailboat, go buy the condo by the ski slope, whatever it might be in your world that you think right now, that if I just get this, if I just achieve that, I will finally, I will finally have what I'm craving. No, you won't. The only way that you will have true peace is to give your life to the Prince of Peace. The only way, there's no other way around this. You can try it and you will stub your toe, you will bang your knee, you will beat your head against the wall over and over and over and over and over. The only way that you can have true peace in this life is to give your life to Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace in this life. That's the only way this is going to happen. And Jude here adds this phrase to the end of verse 2 here when he simply says, be multiplied to you. He's saying this, that the mercy and the peace and the love of God should be ever increasing and abounding in our lives. Now that's convicting, isn't it? We'll show up at church, We'll give the church smile. We'll wear the Christian t-shirts. We'll have the Christian coffee mugs that have all the proper verses and sayings. We'll give all the Sunday school answers. Jesus flannel graph. We'll do the whole deal, won't we? And yet the reality, as I mentioned earlier, and I'm preaching to myself, is that our lives are actually preaching a message. My life and your life, we're preaching messages to all those people around us as they're watching. And do they see that peace and love and mercy are ever increasing and are ever abounding on a residual, habitual basis in my life and yours? Do they see this? Do they walk away from me and you going, oh my, I never want to talk to that person again. I am utterly exhausted because all they do is complain. All they do is talk about themselves. All they do is bicker and banter back and forth. Is that what people see and hear in me and you? Or do they leave our presence going, wow, that person doesn't have it all together, but I know they serve the one who does. And just being around them, I feel refreshed. Being around them, I feel encouraged. Being around them, I know this, that mercy and peace and love in their life is ever-increasing and it's ever-abounding as it's being multiplied to them. Because the reality is this, as Jude is giving us this message, he wants it to be multiplied in our lives so we, in turn, can go multiply it in someone else's life as well. See, if we are not giving away the gospel if we're not giving away the fruit of the Spirit in our lives to others, we are miserably failing in our walk with Christ. And that's why the last key, I want you to write this down. Last key, here it is. Key number three. Key number three. A true Christ follower will have mercy, peace, And love abounding and increasing in their lives. Here it is. Key number three. Write it down. A true Christ follower will have mercy, peace, and love abounding and increasing in their lives. I mean, think about this. Because we are lavish with the mercy of God, we then have peace with God. Think about this. Because we have been lavished, I mean just slathered, lavished, literally just having this dumped upon us in a glorious way, because we are lavished, And slathered with the mercy of God, we then have peace with God. And now what happens? The peace of God invades our lives, overcomes our lives, which now enables us to extend this agape, this agape love of God to those around us. What a glorious domino effect. He lavishes and slathers His love upon us, His mercy upon us, His peace upon us. And we go lavish it on other people. And yes, as you're listening today, we lavish it on those people that hate us We lavish it on those people that are hurting us, that are lying about us. We lavish it on them because God will take care of the issues of those people. We just go and love them and prayerfully we watch him work in his way, in his time, all for the praise of his glory. And you may go, wait a minute, I can't love that person. You don't know what they've done to me, they have hurt me so deeply. I understand. I've been hurt deeply too. And yet the reality, if I'm honest before you, is that I have hurt people deeply as well. See, the sin-bearer Jesus, listen now, the sin-bearer Jesus mercifully absorbed our sin Our punishment as he went to the cross and we were guilty. There is no way to get around this. We were guilty. We can rationalize it. We can sugarcoat it. We can put a different color bow on it. But sin is sin and guilt and condemnation are guilt and condemnation. There's no way to get around this. But as Christ absorbed my guilt, He absorbed my sin. He absorbed your guilt. He absorbed your sin through His mercy, through His grace, through His love. And then what happened? Oh, He declared through His death, through His burial, and through His resurrection that we are now righteous and faultless to stand before that throne. See, Jesus made peace with God on our behalf. As He became, not us, as He did, as He became the bridge of reconciliation. And we are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to self. We are no longer enemies of God. We are no longer opponents of the cross of Jesus Christ. No, we are bond servants. Willing, willing servants. Willing slaves that say, oh, my life is no longer my own. I joyfully submit to you, God. Where do you need to submit to God today, dear one? Where do I need to submit to God? What is the Holy Spirit speaking in your life right now? It's that area that you know what it is, that I know what is in my own life, and it's high time that we joyfully submit to Him, no longer rebel, no longer have a stiff neck, no longer harden our hearts, but we joyfully humble ourselves in that submission to say, oh, my Lord and my God, will you do the work in my life, and will you do it today? And yet, here's the challenge in all of that. In this postmodern, post Christian, post truth culture, if the Word of God is not our non negotiable benchmark and rudder, if it's not, we will unwittingly begin to redefine mercy. We will unwittingly begin to redefine peace we will unwittingly begin to redefine what love really is through the lens of our quote-unquote new truth. See, that's the problem with all this. New definitions for what truth really is is now somehow redefining what characteristics of Christ and a Christ-like life really are. And that's simply false. That's not true because you can't redefine truth. Truth doesn't change. The Word of God does not change. If we begin to look to the lens of self or the lens of the culture, we will attempt, hear me, we will attempt to change the definition of mercy and peace and love. But you can't change it because the truth doesn't change. Therefore, we stand on the Word of God. And we look at that as our benchmark, that is our rudder. We don't bend, we don't buckle, we don't break. We walk in freedom, we walk in mercy, we walk in joy, we walk in contentment, we walk in peace, because we stand on the truth of God's Word. You say, but I need some verses to help me in my endeavor because I'm struggling. Well, here's some verses. Write them down. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah 6, verse 8. Here's what the Word of God says, the truth. He has shown you, O man, what is good. Here we go. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly before your God. See, submission and humility to God are keys to battle for the truth in your life. If you're not humble and you're not willing to joyfully submit to God, you're going to have tough sledding as you plow concrete through this quote-unquote life that you're telling everybody else that you've somehow given to Christ when you really haven't. What other verses can encourage and challenge us? How about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14? Ephesians 2, 14. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made both one and has now broken down the middle wall of separation. I love Ephesians chapter 2. I love all of Scripture, but I love Ephesians chapter 2. And you see there, it's by the grace of God we've been saved, not that we do any works lest any man should boast. See, we were enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. We were slaves to self. We constantly pursued self. We had great hostility towards God as we were dead in our trespasses. But Jesus Christ, in that while we were still sinners from Romans, He died for us. He atoned for us. He set us free through that great transfer and that imputing power of him and him alone that he says, here, I'm going to give you my righteousness, you give me your sin, and I'll take care of the rest. Because the reality is that when you K-N-O-W Jesus, as the slogan says, you will K-N-O-W peace. But that old saying is so true. If you in-o, Jesus, you're saying in-o to peace. Think about what John chapter 13, verse 35 says this. Because we've been talking about this, this entire message that our lives are preaching a message. Whether we like it, whether we want to admit it or not, my life and your life are preaching a message. Either that we are truly in Christ or we're not really in Him. It doesn't mean we don't stumble, but there will be a mark of the true believer, but there will be a desire to submit, a desire to obey, a desire to walk in surrender. And even in the times where we struggle to do that, there will be a conviction by the Holy Spirit where we simply say, look, I'm really struggling in this area and I need to Repent. Not justified, not rationalized, not pass the buck, not play spiritual hot potato and it's everyone else's fault. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. No, we are more than overcomers. And John 13, 35 is very convicting because it says this. By this, referring to John 13, servant leadership and love being modeled, By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Did you catch that? By this, by this love that you extend to one another, and it's agape love, not loving because of, not loving because they do something for me or do something for you, but we love in spite of, by this, all will know. People are watching. By this, all will know that we are either His disciple, Jesus, or we're not. And as they watch me and you today, are they seeing that we're battling for the truth? Yes, we may be stumbling forward. But look, dear one, I'm talking to myself as well. Let's at least be stumbling forward. Some people are doing absolutely nothing for the cause of Christ. They raised the hand, said the prayer, did the cartwheel, got saved, got wed, and just sat down. Almost like, shh, I'm so glad I got that over with. Woo! I'm so glad I got that out of the way. Now I can move on to the great life, my best life now. That's not how this works. We give our lives away joyfully to King Jesus. And we look for him to use us for His glory, not our own. Question, do the people that encounter me and the people that encounter you, because of the love and the mercy and peace in our lives, do they know that we are truly a disciple of Jesus? Jesus. And one of the most practical ways that this can be accomplished is through three simple words in our relationships to one another. And you will not be able to truthfully do this unless your life is no longer your own. But these three words are so powerful and they will change the course of your life and my life. They will change the course of all of our relationships through life. If, as we go through life and the struggle and the heartache and pain, that we're humble enough, we're joyfully submissive enough to the word of God, to the truth, that when we are wrong, that the deception has been removed, that we're not walking in darkness, and we're simply able to say these three words I was wrong. I was wrong. It will change the atmosphere of your family, of your church, of your business, of your ball team. That when we are wrong, instead of fighting to continue to live in deception and perpetuate the lies, we simply stand up in humility and true joyful submission and say, I was wrong. I have seen this literally change people's lives forever, all for the praise of God's glory. And so that's why our takeaway question is simply this. Here's our takeaway question. And write it down Do I reflect Christ in how I live? Ponder that for a moment. As you write it down, ponder it. Do I reflect Christ in how I live? Well, here's your action step that relates to the takeaway question. Here it is, write it down. I will seek today, right now, to extend mercy, peace, and love to those around me. Here's your action step, here's my action step. I will seek today, right now, to extend. There's intentionality. There's urgency here. Extend what? Mercy, peace, and love. Why? Because this is what Jesus did for you and me. See, if you're going to battle for the truth, if that's you here today and you're like, the Holy Spirit's speaking to my life, I'm on board, I'm ready to go. If you are truly willing to go battle for the truth in your life, to be that willing servant of Christ, that lives a life that is set apart for him. As you extend mercy, as you extend peace, as you extend love to others around you, you will need, take this to the bank, you will need an unshakable conviction in your calling and in your sanctification and in your preservation in Christ. This must be unshakable because the enemy is not stupid. If you say today, I am in, I'm going to stand for Christ. And even if none go with me, I'm still following him. The enemy doesn't go, oh, great golf clap. Let me help open the door for you. The enemy goes, okay, we'll see how tough you are. And he will begin to pummel you and sling his fiery darts. If you don't have the word of God, the sword of the spirit is your armor. If you don't have the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts, you will bend, you will buckle, you will break. Because do you understand this? As I plead with you today, do you understand this? God is not calling you to be a Christian in some sort of generic, covert sense. He's not calling you to be a Christian with some vague definition. Because I believe J.C. Ryle said it so well. When he simply said these words, Believe me, you cannot stand still in your souls. Habits of good or evil are daily strengthening in your hearts. Every day, you are either getting nearer to God or further off, end quote. How about you? How about you today? As each day passes, are you getting nearer to God or is the truth that you're getting further away from God? Do you even know the condition of your soul today? Oh, I pray today that God would speak and he would speak mightily in my heart and your heart today that we would no longer be casual Christians, but we become warriors for the gospel of Jesus Christ that show a lost, hurting, deceived, broken, dying world that there's not just a better answer, there's the only answer, and His name is Jesus. And so, Father, we come before You today. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart have been acceptable to You, my Lord, my Rock, and my Redeemer. Oh, God, I pray those listening right now I pray if they are not walking with you, I pray if they've never given their life to you, God, I pray right now will be the moment of salvation for those that have made the outward profession, but they've backslidden. They're not truly walking with you and for you. God, I pray today would be a defining marker in their life. I pray right now by the power of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that those who are straddling the fence would understand that Satan owns the fence. And I pray they would cling to the old rugged cross right now and truly give everything they are to you all for the praise of your glory. And we give you that praise and we give you that glory as we pray in the name that's above every name. Jesus Christ and him alone do we pray. Amen.